Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, and I'm your host, Erin Martin, a certified neurohealth coach, and emotions are my jam. This podcast will empower you to feel in control instead of overwhelmed. I share a mix of brain science, coaching, and holistic lifestyle and nutrition advice, and my goal is to help you positively impact your ability for mental resilience and emotional flexibility, because we could all use a little or a lot more of that. Let's get into it. Episode four, pillar number three, nutrition. Hey everyone, all my thinkers and feelers, welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? How are you guys feeling? I'm doing well, very inspired lately actually by my business because as I've been doing so much research for these podcast episodes, I have also been learning so much. The book I'm currently reading is called Your Brain on Food. So (laughs) it's a nod to the 80s campaign by the government, Your Brain on Drugs, which I find funny because, and this is something that I think is pretty fascinating, that what drugs actually do is simply influence neurochemistry. Okay, like it's not the drugs themselves that are causing the changes. It's how your brain chemicals are reacting to them. And this is the same for food. Like it's simply a substance that we are ingesting and it can also radically affect how your brain behaves and interacts with itself and in particular your gut, of course. And I don't know if you've heard this, but many people do refer to the gut as the second brain. And that's because there is a thick cord of neurons that run between the two called the vagus nerve. And that means they are directly in communication with each other your brain, and your gut. Anyway, I'm on a bit of a tangent, but this book, Your Brain on Food, is pretty cool because it's written by a nutritional psychologist. And how cool of a job does that sound? (laughs) Maybe that should be the next iteration of my career. I feel like chefing and coaching could easily meld into being a nutritional psychologist. But yeah, she is um, just really interesting the way that she writes and she talks all about different styles of eating, food recommendations for um, mental health um, struggles, I guess we call it, depression, anxiety, bipolar, uh, insomnia, ADHD. So, you know, if that kind of stuff sounds interesting to you, I highly recommend this book, Your Brain on Food. And that kind of leads us into today's topic, which is pillar number three of your emotional well-being foundation, nutrition. So the previous two episodes, I talked about sleep. I mean, last time we talked about movement, and today we're talking about nutrition. So if you didn't check out those episodes, please do, and you're going to get a really full picture of what, in my opinion, is the foundation for emotional well-being. So I'll be honest, I had been equally looking forward to and also dreading this episode (laughs) because getting my notes together has been such a beast of a job. Like as you can imagine, what I talk about today could go in a million different directions and I definitely found that kind of intimidating when I was sitting down and deciding like where do I even start? 
for anyone listening that struggles with making decisions, you should be glad that you're not me this week. <laughs> so as I've said many times before, emotional well-being is a lifestyle practice, meaning that as you go about your day doing your daily activities, you know, things like sleeping, moving, and eating, for example, you have the choice to engage in these activities with the intention of managing emotions. So you choose to do these activities in a way that helps you to become more emotionally flexible and resilient, more confident, have more energy, like all of that stuff. And when it comes to nutrition in this category, I'm trying to come up with some sort of you know, clever acronym or some sort of title for this style of eating, but it's basically an emotion balancing style of eating. That's kind of what I like to think about it. So if anybody has any suggestions, I would love to know them. And so basically there's three parts to this sort of eating style in my mind. There's part mindfulness, part intuitive, and then part blood sugar balancing. That's kind of like the sciency part of it. And so what do you get from eating this way? Well, steady energy and mood, nervous system health. You're going to get greater focus and attention, improved communication and relationships, it's stronger muscles and a stronger immune system. You're going to be able to manage cravings and urges better. And you're going to have less stress and a greater sense of relaxation in the body. Like those are all the ones that I've listed, but really I could go on and on. Point is, it sounds pretty incredible, right? And like all of it is absolutely available to you if you apply some of the principles that I'm going to talk about today. So I really encourage you to grab a pen and paper and to take some notes because if you want to feel better, then eating in a certain way with that intention is the way to do it. You can absolutely get a lot of results from it. Okay, first part is the mindfulness. So just like anything that you do from working to hanging out with friends or like doing art, you can either be present for it or you can have your head in the clouds. Thinking about other things or literally attempting to multitask, and I say attempting because it has been proven, hate to tell you there's no such thing as multitasking, there is only task switching, and it's very tiring for your brain. And mealtime can easily fall prey to this. I'm sure everybody has had the experience of eating while in the car, you're driving and eating, or I mean, I like to eat and watch TV sometimes. <laughs> um, and I literally have to, like, every time I put a bite of food in my mouth, I have to be present with that. Otherwise, I could just watch the show and suddenly my plate is empty. So like we all do it, and I'm not saying you need to be perfect, but it's interesting just to notice in what areas like of your life do you try to multitask, and definitely eating is one of them, right? Eating at your computer while you're working. And so the problem with not being present is that it means that often we're eating under stress, right? We're either in a time crunch or, like I said, we're doing a couple other things at the same time. And so your body truly isn't tapped into its optimal digestive abilities. So I don't know about you, but bloating, gas, and heartburn are not great for my mood. <laughs> it's hard to feel your best with indigestion. 
And this is something that I can personally say I struggled with for years working in a kitchen. I was always eating while standing. That's another big one. I was picking at food while in a rush or slamming something back like in the middle of seatings or eating while cleaning at the end of the night. I mean, I worked in a kitchen and yet I had no sense of mindfulness when it came to food. It seems ridiculous to me now, obviously. Like I would finish my shift and I remember I would feel so bloated and as soon as the rush of the service had ended and my adrenaline had come down, I would feel exhausted and starving even though my stomach felt bloated. Like I just had no gas in the tank, right? I hadn't had like a proper meal. And so you wonder why chefs are known to have hot tempers. I can tell you a large part of it is that they don't eat properly. You know, restaurant work can be very stressful. You hear that. So even if you are eating too, digestion is often very weak because we are so sympathetically activated. That's in your stress response. And proper digestion occurs in your parasympathetic response, which is your resting response. So some mindfulness tips I have are to, number one, sit down. <laughs> sit down for mealtimes. You know, practice chewing and actually tasting your food, savoring the flavor. Eating can be very satisfying, but I have a question. Is it because you are tasting the food that you're eating or simply because you are swallowing? So this was something that I really came, it was like a bit of an aha moment to me is that I was eating for the satisfaction of swallowing the food and filling my stomach. And of course that makes sense. You know, your body is all about like calories in to store for energy possibly for later. But, you know, I don't need to store that much energy because food is readily available to me. It's not like I am walking around, you know, on the plains searching for berries and hoping to hunt something down. Like I have an entire cupboard full of food and an entire grocery store or five, like a couple blocks from my house. So we want to eat to savor and actually enjoy the food. I really noticed this with pasta. I tended to do the, like a stuff swallow sort of <laughs> habit. And when I actually began to chew and taste intentionally the pasta, I could not believe how much more satisfying it was and how much less I actually ate because I tapped into satiety versus simply filling a certain amount in my stomach. And satiety, when it comes to mindfulness, for me, it's huge. It's that feeling of well-being, calm, satisfaction at the end of a meal. And I love all those emotions. <laughs> how about you? Somewhat related also is feeling grateful for your meal. This is another kind of mindfulness hack. You know, especially, and this could be a bit triggering for some people, but if it's food that you might feel guilty about eating. You know, eating from guilt is useless, okay? It hurts your system. You don't process the food the same when your body and brain are in stress, right? So if you're in a stressful place when you're eating because you feel guilty about what you're eating, it's no good. And listen, food is neutral. I am going to talk about this in many other episodes. There is no moral value. There's no good or bad food. Food is food, and you get to decide what it means. 
And when it comes to mindfulness, practicing a sense of gratitude for foods that might otherwise, let's just say, be kind of unaligned with whatever style it is you're eating right now, like there is no better time to practice gratitude than to get you into that sense of relaxation so that your body can process the food and assimilate all of the nutrition that's in it even if it's not much, <laughs> even if it's a small amount of nutrition, your body can process it, but only if it is relaxed. So I encourage my clients and, and you as well, the next time you know, you're faced with a food that you either don't want to eat, let's say you're at a party and it's all that's being served, or you're on the road and you know all that's there is, I'm not going to mention any fast food chain names, but take a deep breath and honor that this is what you have chosen or must eat right now and be grateful for that food, okay? Relaxation is digestion's best friend. Just want you to keep that in mind because I do notice that. I'm going to share, I'm sharing some personal stuff on this podcast, I guess, but um, prior to like really healing my relationship with food, when I would eat something that was quote unquote bad, I would rush through it. I would just be like, I just need to get it down and not even really enjoying it. And it seems like, well, that sounds kind of pointless, right? So not that I'm there anymore, but um, a lot of people still are. So if you're eating something that makes you feel guilty, be grateful for it, slow down, take a couple deep breaths, and just remember that you know a meal that is back on track for you is just literally the next meal away, okay? Another great mindfulness tip is to breathe. So did you know that oxygen is one of the most important components for optimal digestion? I find that very fascinating. I learned that when I was in school. So how many of you out there take time to put your fork down and reignite your digestive fire with some oxygen? I suggest to people I coach to take three bites, chew them well, and then put down your fork and take a couple deep breaths. Okay, then repeat, pick your fork back up, eat your food, put it down, take a couple deep breaths. Okay, this helps your body to assimilate all of the vitamins and nutrients you're consuming because it has oxygen. If you take nothing from this podcast, but this, slow down. That is the biggest thing that will help to benefit your digestion in so many ways. Like we all know, that experience of like making a meal that takes an hour and a half and four minutes and 15 seconds later, you're done. <laughs> okay. And really like they say with digestion, just 15 to 20 minutes before your brain and your stomach actually communicate effectively that you would notice that you are full. So the closer to 20 minutes you can get, and let me tell you, 20 minutes is a long time. Even I struggle with it being 20 minutes, like if I'm alone, especially, so, um, but doing this three bites, put your fork down and take some breaths. It really helps to slow everything down and reconnect you with what you're doing right now, which is nourishing your body, right? With whatever food it is that you are eating. The more awareness and moments of pause and mindfulness that you can incorporate into your daily life, whether that is in food, like at mealtime or in other places, the better then you are able to observe yourself and subsequently manage your feelings. So it's not just that it's great at mealtimes, it actually kind of extends into the rest of your life as well. 
Next category, the intuitive part of nutrition. So many of us are out of touch with our bodies. We spend way too much time in our heads. Your intuition is in your gut, your belly, okay, because of the whole second brain thing that I mentioned at the start. And how on earth are you to be connected with that if your nutrition habits don't support it? I believe there is a time and place for everything. As I said, there is no moral value to food. But if the mainstay of your diet is, for example, processed food that lacks real nutrition or maybe foods high in processed sugar, you are going to have a less healthy microbiome. So that's your gut bacteria, the balance of your gut bacteria. And if everything is all out of whack down there, you can be sure that the brain in your head is going to feel the effects. So symptoms such as anxiety and depression can be directly linked to poor gut health. A balanced mood with good emotional flexibility relies on you supporting your gut health with nutritious foods that work for your body. So everybody has a different plan. Everybody and everybody. You need to learn what is right for you by tuning into what feels good, gives you stable energy, and digests well. So take stock of how you feel directly following a meal, and then maybe also an hour or so later. Are you tired? Cranky? Do you feel more focused? When you tune in, you will notice the variations depending on the types of foods that you eat. And that will help to get you connected to your body and the intuitive abilities of your body. Okay, we have to work with our system. Okay, the last part of this nutritional triad is eating for balanced blood sugar. So I could write a book about this, and many have, <laughs> but the two key points that I want you to remember are these. Number one, your brain has no fuel stores, none, which means it feeds directly off of glucose in your bloodstream. So when you eat foods that spike and then drop your blood sugar, like sugary sodas, donuts, chocolate bars, crackers, French fries, like refined carbohydrates, basically, your brain suffers because once your blood sugars drop, it has no fuel. So when the dirty job of managing a difficult emotion arises, your poor brain has no juice to power through. Like if you want your brain to do its best work, you have to help set it up for success. It is just a lump of gray jelly in the dark up there and yet we demand so much from it. Okay, you must feed your brain properly. And one of the best ways to do that is through a steady food supply. So not too much sugar, so we get anxious or hyper, and not too little, so that we feel tired and irritable. I think of our brain like Goldilocks. <laughs> it needs just the right amount. So how do you do this? Well, by making sure that your meals have some fat, some protein, and some carb complex carbohydrates and fiber, like sweet potatoes, beans, whole grains. What you want is for the food to digest slowly, allowing your blood sugar and your mood to stay stable. So an easy kind of visual for it is think a quarter plate protein, and that can be vegan or, or vegetarian protein, a quarter plate complex carbohydrates, so those are basically brown carbohydrates, and a half of a plate of vegetables, 
with some healthy fats. So olive oil, avocado, coconut oil. Okay, number two. So that was number one. Your brain has no fuel stores. Okay, number two. Balanced blood sugar means that you will also have balanced energy. Okay, keep that in mind. There's no more energy highs and lows, which means no more emotional roller coasters either, or at least ones that are better managed. So ask yourself, when I get tired and someone pisses me off, then what? My guess is that you are way more likely to react, okay? Because as you get tired, the willpower part of your brain also tires. So kind of quote unquote holding back your feelings becomes increasingly difficult if you are relying on that in certain situations. It's way easier to be impulsive when we are tired and our blood sugar is low. So being tired also can lead to us not following through on goals, right? Who has the motivation to go to the gym when you are sapped? No, we're just going to sit on the couch after work or to, you know, muster the energy to make a home-cooked meal when Uber is just like a finger click away on our phones. Aside from these two reasons, which is to fuel your brain and to help you have balanced energy, just giving you peace of mind, better decision-making, less procrastination, happier, etc. There's also some real like physical health benefits with eating for balanced blood sugar. Just to name a few, lowered risk of diabetes and obesity, lowered risk of heart disease and liver disease, and also loss of vision. Uh, it is just great all around. So maybe if you would like to try that, um, you can reach out to me or also just do some research on your own. The final thing that I want to leave you with, and this has been a bunch of information at you, so I hope you've been keeping up, is my top 10 foods for emotional health and why. But the why is quite easy because they are great for your brain. Everybody knows how much I love things that are great for your brain. These foods that I'm going to mention all support your neurochemistry, which in turn supports a balanced mood. When we have good neurochemistry production and balance, so dopamine, serotonin, GABA, norepinephrine, epinephrine, glutamate, uh, then we feel good, right? Everything works as it should. And it's not that we don't have bad days or that we don't get angry or frustrated, but we're able to come back to that center point for us, right? We're able to like come back into the center and that's the resilience piece. And that is what I think is the skill of the century is to be able to be flexible in our emotions and not get stuck. Okay, so number one, bananas. Everybody loves bananas, right? These are high in vitamin B6, which helps to synthesize dopamine and serotonin. Like the B vitamins are power-packed amazingness. (laughs) So good ways to use bananas are in smoothies, of course, on top of oatmeal, made into a nutritious muffin or banana bread, or as a snack with almond butter. I also recently have tried sliced, frozen, and then you dip them in warm, dark chocolate and then stick them in back into the freezer. And it's a really easy treat when you have a craving for something sweet. And dark chocolate is also incredibly good for your brain. So it's a two-in-one. Okay, number two, blueberries. 
So the big deal about blueberries, wild blueberries in particular, and many berries actually, is that they are packed with antioxidants. And blueberries in particular are packed with flavonoids. These combat aging, protect brain health, and reduce mental decline, particularly in the part of your brain that's responsible for memory, managing time, and attention. So the recommended amount is quite high. It's a half to two cups <laughs> per day, which is a lot of blueberries, obviously. So the best bets here, I was thinking, are smoothies. Uh, I looked it up. They do make a blueberry extract, if that would be something um, that might interest you, or in salads, either as a garnish or make a dressing, I thought was another really great way to use blueberries. So I looked up a blueberry vinaigrette, and I will leave a recipe for it in the show notes if you wanted to give that a try. Number three, walnuts. Have you ever noticed what walnuts look like? They look like your brain. <laughs> and so guess what? They are the best nut for your brain as well. It's kind of like how beets are blood red, and they're good for your blood. Walnuts look like your brain, and they're great for it as well. So walnuts are rich in alpha-linolenic acid, which is a plant-based omega-3 fatty acids. And we hear about omega-3s all the time. So both omega-3 fatty acids and polyphenols are considered critical brain foods. So in omega-3 fatty acids, specifically EPA and DHA, and I'm not going to go ahead and say those words in length because they are way too long. There are two types of fatty acids. They help reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression. Uh, tryptophan, actually, which is an amino acid, is essential for the synthesis of serotonin. And walnuts are packed with tryptophan. And we all know tryptophan, right? That's what we find in turkey or other white meats, dairy, lean chicken. Uh, bananas also very high in tryptophan. So going back to my number one bananas, you can make a banana tea before bed. You just like slice up a banana and stick it in some water and let it steep for a bit and enjoy it before bed and it will help you to um, go to sleep, help you to chill out. And yeah, walnuts also packed with tryptophan, which as I said, is a precursor to serotonin. So it does increase and affect serotonin levels. And when, we, when these levels rise, serotonin, we feel more relaxed, calm, and happy, and actually also help us with pain, whether that is physical or emotional pain. And a serving of walnuts, in case you wanted to know, is one to one and a half ounces, which is somewhere in between 12 to 18 walnut halves. Number four, salmon. So fatty, cold water fish are also full of omega-3s. That's the fatty acid known to be highly beneficial to your brain that I just mentioned. Omega-3 provides more oxygen to the brain. Okay. It also is a wonderful source of vitamin B12. Again, love those Bs. And that aids in mood regulation. So low levels of vitamin B12 specifically have been linked with depression. So salmon also reduces brain inflammation, which is pretty cool. And given that stress is one of the leading causes of inflammation in the brain, which leads to things like brain fog, headaches, poor concentration, um, not being able to put words together, like when you're stumbling over your sentences or you're like, oh, I can't think of that word, that can all be related to brain inflammation. 
So we should all be eating salmon at least once a week. And if you want to aim for wild Pacific or if it's farm-raised, then definitely go organic. Number five, beans and lentils. So the main reasons I like beans and lentils is because they are a great source of vegetarian protein. And protein is the building blocks for neurotransmitters. Also, though, they contain fiber, and fiber helps to slow down the absorption of food, helping that blood sugar stay balanced. Plus, I can't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure I heard somewhere that beans, beans, they're good for your heart. <laughs> the more you eat them. Yes, I'll stop right now. <laughs> Number six, dark green leafy vegetables like spinach, Swiss chard. A girlfriend of mine turned me on to snow pea shoots, which are so delicious and amazing. You can find them in Chinatown, where I am from. I don't know where else you get them. I've never seen them in a grocery store, but they are awesome sauteed. Um, so these dark green leafy vegetables are great because they are a top food for fighting against memory loss and cognitive decline. They are just packed with nutrition. One of the easiest ways to get into a good mood is to remember a happy memory, right? So eat your greens because you need them to stay sharp and keep your memory sharp as well. Number seven, avocados. Okay, so the more I learn about avocados, the more I am impressed by avocados. This fruit, and yes, it's a fruit because it has a seed, is power packed with so much nutrition that it would probably be easier to say what it can't do. But I won't. Here are the highlights when it comes to supporting emotional health specifically. So avocados are rich in stress-reducing vitamin Bs as well as heart-healthy fats, meaning they help to fill you up and keep you satiated for longer, balancing out that blood sugar. When you have fat in your meals, it helps to slow down absorption. They are also, again, high in omega-3s, and also avocados contain tryptophan, which we just talked about for raising serotonin, and folate, which is also a precursor. Um, well, not a precursor, but it's a required vitamin. It's a vitamin B6 as well, or a vitamin B, rather, sorry, folate. Uh, also a vitamin required for dopamine synthesis. So if you are looking for a superfood to battle depression, you have found one in avocados. You can work it into salads, smoothies, over eggs, or as a dip, like in guacamole, or make a hummus, where you replace half of the chickpeas with avocado. Whatever you do, get them in you, and your mood will thank you. Plus, they're creamy and delicious. Not the texture for everybody. It took me a while to get into avocados, but now that I'm into them, I'm pretty in love. <laughs> Number eight, yogurt. So the two main reasons why I love yogurt for better emotional health is that A, it's a probiotic, which helps balance your microbiome. So it's good for gut health, which in turn ensures proper neurotransmitter production. And um, very interesting side note, 95% of your serotonin is produced in your gut, plus some other transmitters as well. But if you want your serotonin to be healthy, you need your gut to be healthy. So eat that yogurt. And number, number B, <laughs> Greek yogurt in particular is very high in protein. 
So it helps to provide the protein that your brain needs in order to build the neurochemistry to regulate your mood. I know I sound like a broken record here, but I'm hoping that by the end of it, you guys can just, like it's in your brain, you're going to know it. So if you're vegan or lactose intolerant, they do make cultured coconut or soy yogurt, and those are great options as well because they still have the probiotics in them. So aside from the usual ideas of, you know, yogurt and granola or yogurt and smoothies, um, I do like to use yogurt instead of sour cream as a garnish on dishes like baked potato or tacos and working it into baking recipes. Uh, I found a very delicious berry yogurt cake from uh, a favorite recipe site that I use. So I will also include that along with the blueberry vinaigrette recipe. Berry yogurt cake. Sounds awesome. Number nine, whole grains. So I love whole grains, not only because they are nutty, toothsome, and delicious, <laughs> but also because they're fiber rich. And so they digest slowly into your bloodstream. Okay, keeping your blood sugar steady, your energy, and your mood stable. So a really easy rule of thumb here is that if it's brown, it's whole grain. And if it's white, it's probably refined. Okay, and lastly, number 10, drum roll, water. Ha, I bet you weren't expecting me to say that. Yes, I'm counting water as a food. Okay, your brain is 75% water, meaning... You need to stay hydrated if you want to prevent brain dehydration symptoms like brain fog, fatigue, headaches, difficulty with making decisions or choices. Okay, lots of water also helps to flush away toxins, of course, and that's just like good all around. Okay, so if you want more clarity, more confidence, more energy, I could not believe the difference when I started drinking a proper amount of water. Like my brain must have been like a little shriveled up raisin in there. I feel so bad for it for most of my life. When I started drinking more water, and trust me, like you got to force it down to begin with, but now that I'm used to it, um, like if, if I'm tired, the first thing I know is that I need to drink something. So drinking more water um, is also not only like great for – your brain performing the best, but also it helps to balance your blood sugar. It's a, it's a blood sugar balancing trick, drinking water. And here is a really quick way to tell if you're getting enough. Your pee should look like lemonade. <laughs> I saw a chart and it said it should look like lemonade, not like a light beer. So I don't know if that's helpful or not. <laughs> All right. Those are my top 10 foods for emotional health. So one other note to mention, and I didn't really include any, I mean, I talked about beans, but uh, protein, protein, protein. So you must have enough protein in your diet to have the necessary requirements for building your neurochemistry. Animal proteins are all great sources of complete proteins, meaning they have all nine essential amino acids that your body cannot produce. So we must get those nine elsewhere. Vegetarian proteins like quinoa, soybeans, uh, blue-green algae are also considered complete proteins. But vegetarian sources like beans, whole grains, nuts, and seeds are considered incomplete proteins, meaning that you must combine them in order to make up all nine essential amino acids. 
So combinations like whole grains and nuts. So let's say you made like a brown rice and walnut salad, like you had both of those ingredients, you would have a complete protein. Or uh, beans and whole grains. So again, if you have rice and beans, you have a complete protein there. But you can Google that and see what combinations um, so that you know that you are you are getting everything that you need. And yeah, if you're a vegetarian, you know, when you find that you have a low mood or you feel depressed or trouble with, you know, anxiety or feeling really tired, you might want to check in and see if you are eating enough complete proteins. So it's just something to you know, be cognizant of. And of course, amounts of protein like per person can vary depending on your lifestyle, your body type. But for women, the suggested amount is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. So write that equation down and work it out and just calculate to see where you're at and make sure that you are getting enough, 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight. Okay, big breath in and out. That's everything for today. And I was right. It was a beast of an episode. Uh, in hindsight, this probably would have been better as a two-parter, but oh well. Just give it a re-lesson if necessary and take those notes the second time around. Or I actually have a free event coming up this Saturday, February 26th, How to Eat for Emotional Health. So if you are listening to this episode in real time, that would be the week before, and you would like more info on that, reach out to me either by email or Instagram DM. Both of those uh, contact methods will be in the show notes. And we're going to dive even deeper into this subject. It's going to be an afternoon wellness retreat where we're going to do yoga. There's going to be a woman coming on to talk about gut health. We're going to do hypnosis for intentional eating. I'm going to talk all about nutrition for neurochemistry. There's just going to be so much fun stuff. Um, it's going to be an awesome education and coaching-packed afternoon. So reach out to me if you might be interested to join us. Okay, guys, I think that's it. Pretty sure I got it all out. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions or feedback, I would love to hear from you. And be sure to check out those recipes too that I mentioned. Okay, lots of love to everyone and bye for now. See you guys next time.